0: I wonder what would happen. Oh God. If we knew God was coming. If we knew God was going to visit by the night if we knew God was coming down like he came down on Sinai with lightnings and thunderings and the sound of a trumpet if God was going to invade this house some of you might even be afraid to show up you might be like the children of Israel you'd be saying pastor you talk to God we're not going we're afraid of him but I tell you what I know we would be doing if we knew God was going to show up like that and that's what I want I want a God show up we'd be cleaning the poop out of our life we'd be getting the junk out of our life. We'd be getting rid of our pride. We'd be getting rid of our offenses. We'd be getting rid of our envy. We'd be getting rid of our jealousy. We'd be getting rid of all that junk because we'd know God was coming into the camp and nothing else mattered. I don't want just a visitation. I want God to come and stay. Hallelujah. I still believe there will be a day when you won't miss church because you're afraid of what you'll miss if you don't go. Somebody's going to get healed. Somebody's Somebody's going to get saved. Somebody is going to be forever changed in the Holy Ghost. Come on, let's clean the place up. I said let's clean the place up. Let's get rid of all of it because Jesus just might. He just might. He just might blow in here on us again.
1: My name is Adam Shaw and this is The Restorationist. Well, hey everybody! I hope you're having a fantastic, fantastic day. I am so pumped for today's podcast. I'm so pumped because of the incredible guests that we have that I'll introduce to you in just one moment. But I'm also pumped because you're listening. I am I'm continually blown away by how God has been using this podcast and by your engagement and and you sharing it with your friends. Thank you so very much. We. We're reaching all the way around the world. And so when I when I look at kind of our reach, we're in Hungary and Poland and the Czech Republic and Brazil and New Zealand, Australia, as well as the United States and Canada, all over the world. And it's because of you, you're listening, you believe in it. Thank you so much. I'm also really pumped today because our guest is none other than Pastor Jerry Dean. He's an iconic preacher in the Pentecostal movement. And for those of you that don't really know his story, here here it is. After attending Bible college in Texas, he went to TBC. He evangelized across several states for around five years. He then took a church in Arkansas where he pastored for 10 years. And for half of that decade, he was the Arkansas youth president. And then, because Pastor Dean is a phenomenal leader, He was asked to serve as the Director of Promotions for the General Youth Division, now called UPCI, Youth Ministries, and then he was their Secretary Treasurer. But in 1988, God had a shift in his ministry and called him away to Bossier City, Louisiana. Now, here's the best part, according to Pastor Dean. He's been married to Gina, his sweetheart, for 46 years. And together they have three children, six grandchildren, and one on the way. And today he's here to talk to us about preaching. So that any further ado, here's Pastor Jerry Dean. Hey, Brother Dean, how are you doing today?
0: Doing good, Brother Adam. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Listen, thank you so very much for being on the Restorationist today. Uh we're very, very honored. You have been um one of my my favorite preachers uh growing up and um and I just it's an honor to uh to have you on. Thank you for thank you for giving me your time. So glad to have you on the program today.
2: Well, I'm honored that you asked me to do it and the way you phrased that kinda of made me feel a little older. <laughs> you said use those words as i was growing up
1: you know <laughs> yeah time <laughs> well maybe I i'm not quite it, there yet
2: but <laughs> it's true so here we go
1: <laughs> well uh, the the reason why I, I wanted to talk to you is uh because you have been you know uh an iconic preacher in in the apostolic movement and uh, these interviews are really a great opportunity for a whole generation of of young leaders that have this have a call to preach to to hear um you know experienced people like yourself talk about preaching the gospel and I guess the best place to start is to tell us if you could tell us kind of how how you got to this point um and tell us about your journey to preaching the gospel you know from your call to how you first started and 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 just that kind of story. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey to preaching preaching the gospel? Uh,
2: you know, uh, my father is a was a preacher. He he actually did not go into ministry until I was in school. Uh, my father was a uh, first generation apostolic. He uh, he he felt called to preach. His pastor, my dad's words were. His pastor discouraged him because Daddy was probably his most faithful member. And one of his great supporters, Daddy, had a great job. And he left all of that and began pastoring a very small handful of people, congregation. Uh, He never looked back. He never regretted it. So I grew up in a pastor's home in some small churches. My dad made the ministry look exciting Uh, we didn't have a lot as far as material things we had a home full of love I have four brothers at one time we were all in the ministry but I actually kind of felt that uh, I was going into the ministry for, for pretty much as long as I can remember and as I got older my two older brothers went into the ministry, and then I began to have doubts because my, I, I just thought, yeah, everybody's going to say Jerry's doing this because Johnny and David did it. And uh, this was the height of the Vietnam War. Uh, people were being drafted left and right. And, you know, is he doing this to stay out of Vietnam? Is that why he's going to Bible school? But I, I let all those things kind of intimidate me a little bit. But the Lord broke through on me through prayer, and I was able to overcome that. And uh, I left home as a young man. I had an opportunity where I worked at a bank. Computers were just now coming in uh, into the banking industry. And my boss came and offered to send me to college. We were, we were sending all of our data processing material to a big bank in Austin every night, and they would do all the data processing. The next morning, we would have reams of paper. Uh, I think they called that the old dot matrix system printers, and he offered to send me to college, and I would be over the computers that the bank was fixing to buy. They literally, I saw them later, they filled up a whole room. It was amazing. But I had already made a commitment. I'll never forget when I, when I told him I was going to Bible school. Uh, his name was Gene. He said, you know, I kind of suspected that. But I, I threw it all in and uh, went to Texas Bible College. I did not graduate there, but I got a good start there, met a lot of good people, and went from there into the evangelistic ministry as a 19-year-old young man. And I've never looked back. Uh, let me let me throw one little thing in here. When I was a boy, I don't know if I was 8 or 9 or 10 years old, I was really touched one night in service in this little church where my dad pastored in DeLeon, Texas. And I had a vision. I never told a soul about this vision. My brothers, I would have been like Joseph telling his brothers a dream. Uh, but I, I was standing in the pulpit in in a coliseum i had never personally been in a coliseum the largest thing i had ever been in would have been a high school gymnasium i'd never seen a coliseum inside and but i saw myself standing here and i never forgot that i i just hid it in my heart i never breathed a word about it when the general conference was in tampa florida they asked me to do the global mission service when I walked to that pulpit, Brother Adam, uh, inside I started weeping because it wow. was the vision I had as a seven, eight, nine-year-old boy, and it just a little something that God gave me to let me know that this is what I wanted you to do, and you know it's not always been easy, but. You you go back to those days when you knew God called you to preach. I forged it out in a prayer room. I I just when I had my doubts, I overcame those doubts in a prayer room. Yeah, and that doesn't change under this day.
1: That's that's an incredible. It, I I started I started to choke up when you talked about that experience you had when you were a little boy because. Um, My son just had, um, he had an experience a little while ago, um, where he was, he was praying in the altar. Judah was praying in the altar and, um, you know, the God was really moving and and he, he got the Holy ghost in March and, and he's really been digging in and, uh, and then he got up abruptly and went to, to his mom and, uh. And when I got home, she said, hey, did Judah talk to you? And she, uh, I said, no, not yet. And he said, well, he said that Jesus spoke to him while he was praying. And it, it, the Lord called his name in his heart, and he said, Judah, if you will pray, I will use you. If you will pray, I will use you. And, of course, I was a, I was a uh-huh. mess, and your story <laughs> reminded me of that. And, you know, he's only six. Six years old, and I don't know what the future is going to have for him. But that story you just shared that 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 touched me um, because it shows how how much God is shaping and He's got a plan for for our lives, even even when they're little. Wow, yes. that's incredible. I went back
2: and visited that church a few years ago. There were fifteen people there that night. Four of them was uh, myself and the three men who were with me. And uh, the pastor there today is a really, really sweet guy. It's a very small town and he, he faces a lot of challenges, but I, I walked to that pulpit and looking over to the little place where I used to sit, they've remodeled the building, but the size and all of it is identical to what it was when I was a child. And I looked at that place where I first felt God touching my life, you know, first felt conviction, yeah. first felt that urge to go to the altar. And I had a I had pages full of notes and I was gonna deliver this great message, you know, to the little church there. And I could do nothing but cry and weep and I'm like asking God, How how did you even find us here? You know? <laughs> uh-huh. I'm like this uh this is such an out of the way place, but a lot of that I attribute tri- uh, to my parents and their devotion to God and their prayer life and all of that. It just brought back so many memories of where I started this journey.
1: If if there was a way that you could and and I always preface this as a, a, as a difficult question because as preachers we're we're really not supposed to think or you know, think about ourselves really at all. It's we're, we're supposed to disappear and let the word and let, you know, Jesus kind of shine through, but he flows through a vessel. Um, and every vessel is different. So if there was a way that you could define your approach or your style to preaching, how, how would you define it? How would you explain it?
2: Who, brother Adam, uh, it's changed over the years. Uh, it's changed greatly. Obviously, uh, just like everybody else, different, different preachers impacted the way that I minister. I watched successful preachers, and I'm like, man, I want to be that way. I, I would tell you this. I think probably the number one thing that's been told me about my ministry as far as people saying, I appreciate this or that about your ministry In fact, I don't think this, I know this. The number one compliment, if it is a compliment, I I assume it is, is that people appreciate transparency. And I can be kind of crazy in the pulpit sometimes. I get myself in a mess and I hear my wife saying, oh, Jesus, (laughs) Uh, you know, but just being yourself to me is such an important thing. There's nothing wrong with, learning and gleaning from men who have great ministries nothing wrong with that and i could give you many examples of that but uh you know be the same person in the pulpit as you're outside of the pulpit you you mentioned my son Brian a while ago uh and my other son the greatest compliment that i've ever received from any of my family <clears throat> was my dad is the same at home as he is at church Uh, people appreciate transparency and you know i'm not criticizing anybody but don't go into your preacher voice when you get up into the pulpit that doesn't impress anybody and i'm gonna throw down and preach but (laughs) i'm not starting out that way i'm gonna uh you know brother huntley talked about helicopter pilots and 747 pilots and some of them go up quick and but be yourself in the pulpit. Don't, don't try to be something you're really not. Just don't change your tone of voice and get this little preacher's voice on. Forgive me. Uh, I'm not being critical, but I just know what people relate to, and people relate to realness. Uh, just be yourself when you go into that pulpit. Don't try to be something you're not. People appreciate that. And be honest in the pulpit, you know. I've told of a thousand ignorant things I've done in my life from that pulpit. And well, they're going to think less of you if you, you know, show all your faults. I don't think that's true. Paul said I was the chief of sinners. Uh, he He didn't try to hide what he was. I was a blasphemer. So be real. Be real. And beyond that, Be prepared. You walk to the pulpit. Be prepared. Let me share something with you. My dad was one of the greatest men of God I knew. Here's the sum total of his instructions to me about preaching. This is it. When I started evangelizing, Jerry, don't go to that pulpit without praying. That was it. (laughs) You be sure you pray if you go to that pulpit. Boy, I've had evangelists here preaching, and they were good preachers, but I never saw them praying. Don't do that. So I've made that a rule. Of course, we're supposed to pray anyway, but that's a rule of thumb for my life. But I'm going to be prepared. I watched people. I used to put my notes when I first started evangelizing. My notes were on a three-by-five index card. I still have some of those notes in a box somewhere in my attic. And I, I'm thinking, but it was kind of a, I mean, there were some preachers, it was a little stigma to use notes. But I noticed Anthony Mangan and Vesta Mangan and G.A. Mangan and James Kilgore, uh, the, especially the Mangans, I noticed they, they were like, everything they said was on, a, on, on a, a, a note. They had, it looked to me like page after page. And I'm like, can you do that? I didn't know you could do this, so I can do this. And it took me a few years uh, to get to that point. But and I know they don't stick to their notes all the time. Neither do I. But I'm going to be prepared if God will help me when I get up there. And uh, I want my notes ready. Uh, it keeps me from chasing a lot of rabbits if I stick to my notes. And I'm I'm a terrible rabbit chaser, especially on Wednesday night. Just uh, going down some crazy path that's not really relevant to my message. But anyway, sometimes just trying to be cute and try to stay away from that as much as I can.
1: I I love what... Go ahead, sorry.
2: uh, So be prepared when you get up there. You know, don't get up there and wing it.
1: I really love what you said about being yourself, being authentic, um, and, and being real. I, I just my generation we 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 grew up with the internet and and those a bit younger than me uh I turned thirty five on Let's past Saturday those younger than me um they've they've not just grown up with the internet they've they've grown up in the world of social media and everybody's a brand now everybody's everybody knows how to market themselves now and and I think that when people come into church that 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 they don't want that they, they, when obviously we got to, you know, good communication or, or whatever, but when, when somebody goes up to stand behind the pulpit, they're not looking for somebody to, you know, to be, to be another branded slick politician. They're looking for somebody who's real and mm-hmm. who is comfortable in their own skin, because most of the time people aren't, they're not comfortable in their own skin. They don't really like who they are. they, they're always, they're trying to do something or be somebody that they're not. And when the pastor is there and he's declaring the word of God and, and there is this realness, not only does it, not only does the message feel more true because the person is being true to themselves and true to who God made them to be, but it's, it's just, it's refreshing to see somebody who is, who's not like a walking Instagram filter. They're just, They're just, they're keeping it real. They're just, they're being themselves and they're, they're not, they're not willing or wanting to do anything else than, than be themselves and be truly authentic behind the pulpit. And I really appreciated that. Um, I really appreciated that point. I think it's, it's so important for, for my generation to hear when it comes to preaching, you know, the, the thing, you know, we're not, you know, we're not like a band, uh you know that goes on tour where we're going to we're going to you know we're going to play the same you know four or five five songs in every arena when you're in the local church you have to stay fresh you've got to deliver that God. fresh word how how do you stay fresh what what inspires you what um is it what do you like to read or listen to or what practices or habits do you have in your life that that keep that flow of inspiration um and spark of the Spirit coming so that you have something to deliver people?
2: Well, I'm a book reader. I love to read. Uh, Brother Adam, uh, there are not just tons of, there's just not a lot of people who are just like these in-depth, original, look in the Bible, see something that nobody else sees, preachers in, the, in, in any season. I mean, there are great men that stood out through the centuries uh i would reference somebody like wayne huntley or mike williams or jeff arnold they just take a scripture and they like could not and you're like why didn't i see that so i i have to i have to man i have to read i'm constantly looking for something uh i use anything i can get my hands on i tell preachers and uh I, I, i've told our church this uh the bible said a uh, that uh, people don't despise a thief if he steals because he's hungry. And my feel is I've got to feed a congregation every week, so I have to steal, okay? Now, I'm also not opposed for giving credit, you know. Uh, I don't remember to do that every time with certain things, but I'm starting a new little series tonight. I'm taking right out of a book called Prayers for Prodigals, and I will tell the church, as I start, I'm taking this out of a book called Prayer for Prodigals. And some of our people will go buy that book, and I'm not opposed to that. Uh, I made that comment one Sunday morning. I said, now, I got this from so and on i preached preach my message and quoted that verse. Thief is not despised if he steals because he's hungry. And one of my good men sent me an email, and they said, you didn't finish that. It said, if he's caught, he's going to pay seven times. And I got tickled when I <laughs> read that. <laughs> But I love people who are willing to share. We just went to the motion conference and uh, Brother Gurley was saying anything we have, take it and use it. I have to do that, Brother Adam. I I don't have an option. I just, I'm always on the lookout for things. Uh, There are particular authors that I love. Some authors I read just for me, uh, not because I feel like I'm going to get material out of them but I've taken books and taught them to the church, tell the church about them. Uh, we, we did a series on uh, Andy Andrews. What's the name of that book? The Seven Decisions, I believe. Uh, and we ordered them for our church people. We just go through it together. That's not uncommon in, this, in, the, in the religious world for people to do that. So I'm always looking. I, I take notes when I go to a conference. When I go to a meeting where there's preachers, I just came home from motion. I, I don't have any pages of notes I took on my iPad till my thumbs actually hurt. I put those in a Word file. I have a, I have a file on my computer called notes. And when I, I often go back through those, I have hundreds of pages of notes that I took. I've been doing this for, oh, Lord, maybe 20 years. And I'm always finding something in there. I go back and I'm preaching a sermon and I remember something. I go back in my notes, do a little word search and find it. And I reference that. I just, I have to do that. I'm, I'm, I, you know, sometimes I see something in the Bible and I just, eh, that's it, man. I feel like God gave it to me and I preach it. But there's nothing wrong with research. I have particular authors that I really enjoy reading. And uh, commentaries, so much of the stuff in a Christian bookstore is worthless, in my opinion. It's about one inch deep. Uh, But there are many good authors out there, and I try to utilize them. And uh, the main thing that I think is important, I'm so impressed with a young man named Mark Brown, who preached at Youth Congress. I, I know most people know him now. But one of the things I so appreciate about Brother Brown is the way he references Scripture in his messages. Every verse he quotes, uh, he gives you the scriptural reference and uh, lets you know he studied that and read it and pondered it. And I think that's important uh, to do that. Let people know you're preaching out of the Bible. Mike Williams has this fabulous statement he's one of my favorite preachers Uh, somebody asked him about you know how do you preach what do you do to get a sermon together and he said I just preach the word and if you notice his sermons they're pretty much the bible he's just preaching the bible he has a unique way of compiling all these scriptures and here's his thought behind it Uh, you know I just preach the word I let the word do the work and that's so true just let the word do the work. Brother Barnes, Tom Barnes told me years ago when he was still alive, he was a neighbor just down the road. He said, uh, The miracle's in the seed, Brother Dean. The miracle's in the seed. You preach the word and you let the word do the work. That's important. And I draw out of everywhere stories, life experiences. People relate to that. To me, it seems like they relate to that. As much as anything we do is uh, a life experience. And when you came to Mosher and preached our youth conference, youth congress, Revive Weekend, and you told the story about your son. I mean, I'm sitting back there needing a box of Kleenex. But people can relate to that. Uh, and the way you did that was beautiful. I think it's so important. But anyway, I was at a general conference. I was, I was a young preacher. I uh, still may be evangelizing and we had a preacher down here in Louisiana named David Hennigan. This was long before I moved to Louisiana, but he was a he was a friend from my youth. Uh, his father and my father were contemporaries of great friends, but he picked up a book over at the publishing house table uh, by this guy named Vance Abner. And he said, You ever read any of his books? And I'm No, I've never heard of Vance Abner. I don't know who he is. And he said, man, I get a lot of sermons out of these books. And I looked at David and said, do what? You can do that? (laughs) You can get a sermon out of a book? He said, you don't do that, Jerry? He said, I have to do that. And I'm like, oh, my Lord, I didn't know you could do that. So I bought two or three of Ann Sabner's books. Man, I felt like I had a year's worth of sermons. I started reading those books. And I'm like, oh, my Lord, I can preach this. So take advantage. And, and today with the Internet, it's endless. It's, you just need an illustration. You can go Google whatever theme you're looking for. It's endless. And I'm going to take advantage of every tool I have. Paul said to Timothy, you bring my books when you come. I don't know what books he's talking about, but I got a feeling it wasn't all by Isaiah and Jeremiah. I think it was bigger than that. And so I'm going to do that. You know, we got to study. Brother Tenney told us one time in Louisiana at the district conference, he said a preacher came up and said, well, I don't read books. I get all my sermons out of the Bible. And Brother Tenney said, I looked at him and said, yeah, we can tell it. (laughs) (laughs) Brother Tenney used to take a three-week sabbatical. He had 16 at the end of the year, and it was a reading sabbatical. They just took books and magazines, whatever they had, I guess, and went and read.
1: I I love I love that. Um I you given, you know, you've 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 preached on some pretty massive stages and and you've been very influential in, in our in our movement and giving a generation of of young ministers, young people that that you you don't have to you don't have to have all of the ideas within yourself you just gotta you gotta do the work to go find them, and yeah. uh, and giving people permission that it is it's uh, to study and to read and to invest in resources and I think that that is so that's so so important. Now let's let's go to the next step then. And so you've you've been reading, you've uh, reading books, you've been you know you're in the Word, and you got that spark of inspiration. Yeah. How does the message then go from inspiration to, um, uh, to to that moment where you, you got the you know you got the iPad in hand and you're getting ready to to go and deliver it? What for you? How does that how does that work? How do you go from that spark inspiration all the way down to you've got this 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 set of notes, this manuscript that you're now going to go and with the help of the Holy Ghost you're going to go you know pre- preach your soul out to a group of people.
2: I, this is the way I do it. I sit down at my computer and I start putting in the bullet points and I just, it's through meditation more than anything else. And as I do my notes, my mind starts generating other thoughts uh, and I start including those other thoughts. Uh, And uh, I heard Wayne Huntley say this years ago that he prays a sermon before he preaches it. I don't know if he still does that. He probably does. He'd take his sermon after he got it ready to the prayer and pray it, and he gets inspiration. I have done that many times. Uh, we have a men's prayer meeting on Sunday morning uh, before Sunday school, and I take my notes in there many times, and I'm just praying my sermon. And as you pray, you get inspiration, and I feel like it's God's way of saying, here's something I want you to include in this message. And it it can drive the media people crazy because I'm really late getting inspiration and getting my notes to them or my scripture references. And so they may get a whole new set 10 minutes before church starts. But that's what works for me. Uh, I also, Brother Adam, I listen to sermons. I listen to podcasts. I listen to sermons on the internet. And I may just lift one line out of that sermon. I was reading an A.W. Tozer book And years ago, and I I saw this one line in there, The Crushing Weight of Eternity. And I built a sermon that I preached at that first conference in Tampa that I told you about a while ago. That was the title of my sermon, The Crushing Weight of Eternity. And uh, Brother Herod was with us this weekend. He was talking about a sermon that he heard me preach. Uh, for Thy Great Name's Sake, that I preached it because of the times years ago and how that impacted his life. Well, I had been reading and studying, and I began to notice how many times in the Scripture it said, For Thy Name's Sake, or For Thy Great Namesake," Sake. And that, that sermon was born out of that. I just, you know, put a lot of stuff with that. But I'm always looking. If something's quickening in my heart, and I feel, I feel something real strong. It may just be one line out of a sermon on this. I kind of lean on that as if, though the Lord's impressing that upon my heart, that God's kind of directed me here. And uh, I take advantage of that. I take advantage of it. And I have sermons that are born out of a prayer meeting. That's happened many, many, many times. just feel like God directed me. One of the greatest preachers I ever heard was George Glass Sr., I heard him say this one time, speaking to a group of young preachers. He said, most of my sermons come to me just randomly reading the Bible. And they called him the Prince of Preachers. And so I I treasure things like that in my heart. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to hide that in my heart. So when I'm reading the scripture, which I do hopefully every day, in my Bible reading program. And I try to keep my eyes open, always. And many times when I read the Bible, I've already prayed, God, open my eyes to your word today. Let me see something in here that can be a blessing to somebody else, or bless the church, or bless another preacher. So I'm, I'm watching. I have also, Iron Sharpens Iron, I, I have preachers that I've talked to. Uh, they give me thoughts sometimes and I take them and work with them. Uh, Charles Shogwan Long, he was talking to me one day about a, a, uh, some things he had seen in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon said, There's nothing new under the sun. And he said, Brother Dean, I got to looking at that and I'm like, That's not true. There's a new covenant coming. There's the Holy Ghost is coming. There's a lot of new things coming. Uh, I hung the phone up, went to my computer and put me a sermon together called words from the backslidden preacher it's and uh, so i gleaned from him i heard that and i'm like you know what there's a message in that and when i get ready to preach i don't mind saying hey i was talking to pastor charglois this week and he showed me something i didn't see and i don't mind doing that people who are intimidated by that i mean any book you read is full of quotes from other authors and writers the the secular world's not afraid of that. Why would we be afraid of it? Is it a pride thing? I don't know. I don't know why people won't do that. And I do, sometimes I forget. I literally, honestly, forget. But nothing wrong with it. Did that help?
1: It did, and absolutely did. And um, so let's let's shift gears now for for uh, a okay. few moments. And so we, we've okay. heard we've heard your story. Um, We've heard about your your how you stay fresh with reading and study and um and and then the next steps where you're you're taking that inspiration and, and you're meditating on it and you're writing it down and there are all these other inputs that are coming to you that uh either that you've looked at before and and so uh or or you're looking at as you're preparing and they all come together and you got that message and, and it's prepared and then it it just it comes out of of you. You preach it. And you're yourself and, and that has been so so helpful. Now I now I want you to, if we can, let's now let's begin to shift gears and I want to give you the opportunity to begin to talk directly to um the next generation that that is that is coming up that from Spotify I, I know that a, a majority of my Spotify listeners are uh, all under the age of thirty. Um, the greatest, you know, the biggest age range uh, is around 18 to 24. Um, and then, you know, the next big is that 24 to uh, 35. Um, what do you, I want you to talk to them for a second. What do you admire the most about the the new generation of, of young leaders and young preachers that you see coming into uh, into ministry right now? What do you admire the most about them?
2: I wow! I've never, I have never in my life been so impressed with the group of young preachers that's uh, coming on the scene right now. I had not, I had not been to Youth Congress in several years. Uh, probably had been six years since I've been, and went this year to North American Youth Congress, and it just the the quality of the messages that. The depth of their devotion—it's uh, apparent. These people are consecrated. They're—they're they're not just seeking notoriety. Notoriety—I can't even say the word of fame. They're just—they're just, they're giving me that real feeling that I love. It's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's just so impressive to me, and I admire their brilliance. And I, I mean, these guys <laughs> like you, brother Adam. I put you in that category when you tell you, You're far to too kind. For, I'm like, good money. These guys are amazing. I'm not just saying that to your face. I've told probably a dozen or two dozen people that. Do you, you ever heard of Adam Shopbridge? Uh I admire your study habits, the way you're digging in. Uh, to so many arenas out there and pulling out these thoughts. Your message about uh, uh, Kodak, the Kodak company, I'm like, I will never forget that. And, those, those are the things I admire. My own son, Ryan, I'm like, I've had so many people say, man, Ryan is really smart. Yeah, he's really smart. And I don't think they intend it to come across the way it comes across sometimes. And it's like, yeah, I'm not quite that smart. <laughs> but uh, I do admire that. I, I admire their consecration, too. And I know a number of young men. Uh, who are just, they're consecrated. They're willing to step out. They're planting churches. I never had the courage to do it. I almost did it when I was a young man. Me and my wife prayed about it. Uh, my assistant pastor was ready to go, and we had North Carolina on our mind. And honest to God, I chickened out. I just, I didn't know if I had it in me. I didn't know if I had the skills to do it. And, uh, uh, I backed out. It may not have been the will of God. Apparently, it wasn't because God seems to have ordered my steps over the years. But uh, God bless our young preachers, men. And don't ever quit learning. That's what I would say to the young preachers. I, I was at the Motion Conference last week. I hate to keep referencing this thing, but I looked around. There's not many guys my age. I asked Terry Schott to critique my ministry. Of it. Uh, back in 2017, he changed my life. With, with that morning he spent with me at a Starbucks, it changed my life. And I don't want to ever quit learning, and I don't want to stay on too long. You know, I want I want to know when it's time to step down. I think it's it's just going to be an easy thing to do when that time's right. Uh, but I don't I don't I'm not I'm not hesitant at all. My dad told me something. Uh, Brother Adam, you, you may want to take this out of the podcast, and if you want to edit this out, I'm, I'm very cool with it. Uh, I've always kind of been a proponent of limited terms uh, in government in everywhere except past. <laughs> <laughs> but my dad told me one time, he said, son, we bypassed a whole generation of great leaders. We bypassed a great gener- uh, whole generation of great leaders we would have been great leaders. And uh, I, I don't want that to happen anywhere. To see young men taking the stage, taking these pulpits, pits uh, I've turned down some preaching engagements because I want our younger men to have an opportunity. I, I, they can do as good a job as we've ever done. They can do a better job and they need that platform. Uh, we're doing that in Louisiana. We I'm over men's ministry. Here in Louisiana have been for years, and that's a place where I should have stepped down years ago. But uh, we're putting young men in these pulpits as much as we can because I want them to have a chance. I don't want to pass these guys up. We don't have to wait till they're 50 years old. Somebody gave me a chance to preach when I was a young man, and I'm grateful for that opportunity that I had. So you young men, you know, to, out out of terry shock's time with me i would tell these young men this. i would tell every one of this uh, i met with terry shock one entire morning at a starbucks he took out a legal pad and i said i want you to critique the church i want you to critique my ministry well you don't know a lot about my daily life my ministry so he got his legal pad out and he just started firing questions at me how much do you pray when do you pray when you pray you pray daily what when do you fast how much do you fast Uh, how much time do you read Uh, do you have a weekly staff meeting and and at the time i wasn't having one he's like why do you not have a weekly staff meeting so i felt like i was on trial and i finally stopped him i said my lord am i on trial here he got tickled he said you want me to help you yeah help me uh how can i help you if i know nothing about you well there's some truth in that so out of that out of that time with Terry Shock, and he took everything home, set up a whiteboard, put some points down on the whiteboard, called me, we went over it and I began to pray and seek the Lord. And I came up with four areas. Number one is my walk with God, which is number one priority, is my walk with God. Terry Shock convinced me to talk to God before I talked to man. So I've tried to make a practice of that. I tended to pray later. Until I had my meeting with Terry Shaw. Now I pray earlier. Talk to God before you talk to man. Uh, the second phase of my life is my worship. God seeking worshipers. The Father's seeking worshipers. So worship includes a lot of areas in my life. Uh, it not only in- includes me coming to church and worshiping. It's a daily part of my life. It includes my finances. I worship God. Uh, David said, I will not offer a burnt offering of the Lord of that, which cost me nothing. So I have my walk. Out of my walk comes my worship. <clears throat> Anyone who does not have a walk with God doesn't have true worship. You worship in spirit and in truth. So the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination unto God. That's in Proverbs. So if you try to worship and you don't have a walk, you you you, you can get by with your talent for a while, but eventually it's going to show up. And then after my worship comes my war. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Uh, We have a battle on our hands. Our culture in North America is tanking right now. We all know we have a battle. We're we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. So I'm in a battle. I'm in a battle for the souls of men. I'm in a battle for our nation. I'm in a battle for our churches. And I don't ever forget that. If I don't have a walk and I don't have worship, I'm not ready to do battle. I'll be like the seven sons of Sceva. I'll be running naked away from this place. Uh, Paul, I know, and Jesus, I know. I don't know you, so i got to get ready. And the fourth area of my life is my witness, and that includes my personal witness to people, uh, trying to be a disciple maker for other people. It also includes my missions work that I'm a fanatic about, I Want to be a witness, so those are the four areas. They printed this in the Pentecostal Life, and on their website, they have a little confession I wrote for our men in Louisiana and for our church. You can print that off and start confessing it, but don't try to be a witness if you don't have a walk. You know, that's that's number one. I gotta have a walk with God, and uh, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, but God took him. That's the most important thing. Never read of a Miracle that ain't performed, but we know we have a walk. So my walk's more important than what I do publicly. I want to have a private devotion to walk with God. Is that does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely,
1: it does. And 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 away
2: from the young preachers. No, it's a little P.S., a little footnote to young preachers. Don't be so consumed with what you can do with your with your keynote or PowerPoint or whatever you use to impress people that you spent an hour programming your lighting and you spent an hour getting your keynote ready, but you didn't spend an hour in the word. Uh, we got that backwards. You got to get your walk down first. That's most important.
1: And you're already kind of touching on it right now. Um, a bit. Um, but you've spoken about what, what you've admired and you've given us some, some, some great direction to, to continue to walk in that. but, Um, when you're looking at this generation of, of preachers, um, what are the red flags that you see? What are the things that we've got to work on? You've been extremely complimentary, um, to, to my generation and and to me far, far, you know, far more than what I deserve. Um, when I came and preached at your church, I was terrified, uh, right out of my mind. Um, I was scared half to death, uh, felt sick to my stomach, um, and all that kind of stuff. And but you've been very very kind and 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 it's clear that you you believe that you believe in in the next generation and, and but because you believe in us could could you tell could you tell the generation of those that are listening what are the red flags you see? What what are the things that you see that we we got to work on. We we got to fix um because they 're either hindrances or or they're threats to our effectiveness, what would those things be
0: <clears throat> well
2: <clears throat> that's that's not an easy question for me to answer i i would <clears throat> one of the red flags for me is be very very cautious about social media uh, pride goes before destruction. we got filters and Make yourself look a little better. I understand they got filters to slim you up. Be cautious about all of that. Be cautious about, and let somebody else brag about you. I posted that scripture yesterday on Instagram. Don't brag about yourself. Uh, quit retweeting when somebody compliments you. Uh, that don't sit well with me, and I don't know if everybody feels that way or not, but I'm like, why do you do that? that's kind of weird it's like pride goes before destruction uh, just stay humble and here's here's the biggest red flag I have that I don't even know if it's a red flag uh, I want you to take care of your family first okay uh, I don't know that I always did that. Ryan told me, as you know, Adam, Ryan went through severe depression when he was fifteen and sixteen. It's a tremendous miracle that God brought him out of it, and uh, probably made me cry to talk about it. But I'm a crybaby, so I'm not ashamed of that. I Ryan referenced this in a message to church the other night. He said that particular night he woke me up at midnight, and he's like, "Dad, can we talk?" Well, Ryan's always been kind of nocturnal. I'm, I'm like in a deep sleep, and I'm like, Ryan, can we talk in the morning? He said, no, Dad, we got to talk tonight. So, brother, he blew my mind. I had no clue he was suicidal. I had no clue he was in depression because Ryan had always, since he was a little boy, just go in his room, shut the door, and he had little deals he did. He had games he played. Uh, he loved friends, and when he was with his friends, he's great. But when he'd come home sometimes, he's in there drawing. He's an artist uh and we never we never dreamed he was dealing with this but he, you know he kept it hid. But anyway, Ryan referenced this the other night when he had a sermon he told the church that that night I told him, okay, Ryan, what do you want me to do? what help me gets you? Some do you want me to resign the church? I will at next Sunday. I'll be done. you're more important. And I would tell every preacher, that's a huge red flag. When you start putting ministry above your family, you cannot do that. If you're a single young preacher out there, please listen to me. Don't be kissing every girl you go out with. There's a young man I'd love to have come preach at our church right now, but I can't because he's kissed several of the young ladies in our church. And I find this out through the grapevine. So guard your heart, man. You can't just succumb to all of this. Social media, put your family first, and be careful, be careful. The internet is deadly. You've gotta have an accountability. If I'm a single person, even married, and I'm young, if I've got a hint of a struggle with the internet, for goodness' sake, there's all kind of programs to keep you accountable. Go do it now. Don't let it ruin your life, wreck your life. And I don't know if that's a red flag. It's just like what our world faces today. Does that make sense?
1: No. This this is this is incredible stuff, uh, brother Dean. This is this is incredible. And and you're not the this you're not the first one to bring social media up, but but. Um, you are the you're the the first one that I have interviewed thus far from from your generation that has uh, that has been so, so clear and direct about social media um, and and its dangers and the danger of pride and self-promotion and how that can just it can wreck you. And and the statements about family that that uh, I'm I'm convicted, um, I'm convicted by it, uh, you know, so many. So many of us are so, they're so, we're so driven. We want to, we want to, we want to do a good job. We, we, we want to honor God with our, with our efforts. And there can be a, like a myopia, like a blindness that, that can come over your, over your eyes that, you know, everything will always be okay. And, and your very transparent story about, and Brian is, you know, he's one of my best friends in the world. Uh, I know that story. And um, there are times when things are not okay and you've got to be willing to drop everything to, to, to work on home like you did. And that's, that's why Ryan is the preacher and the leader and the pastor that he is today is because you did that. And my generation needs, needs to hear that, that your, your children and and your family is, is so important.
2: Yeah. You know, Adam, my dad, Uh, I have his Bible in 1977. The man gave my dad a Bible, uh, Thompson Chain Bible. And in the front and back of that Bible, there are four blank pages. And he was in the hospital when he lived here. and I was up there sitting with him, and he wanted me to read something to him out of his Bible. He had his big old Thompson Chain Bible up there. So when I opened it, I saw these names, just like one, two, three, four, all the way up. And there's a name and a date, a name and a date, a name and a date. And I'm like, what are these names, Daddy? Uh, this, this went from October of 77 until the last Sunday in November 1988. Well, he moved here. He was in our church the first Sunday of December, 1988. And um, I, I recognize that. There were 892 names here, and I said, Daddy, what are these names? He said, oh, those are people I baptized in Jesus' name. This, was in the, this began in the 70s, Brother Adam. I mean, when three or four people get the Holy Ghost in revivals, you're thrilled. Uh, there were no revivals where you baptize and pray all these people. There's 892. I meet people all over the country going out and preaching. Oh, I prayed through in your dad's church, you know. My dad never had a dynamic music program. He never had a dynamic outreach program, to my knowledge. They did things. They, they, we used to go knock doors, when that was kosher years ago. Uh, he never probably preached over 25 minutes. It, it, he never finished a sermon. He just he hated long-winded preachers, and he just didn't finish a sermon. He gets so far, half of his sermon was getting people to laugh. And he baptized all these people. But the key is my dad had a walk with God. And he had a gift of faith. He didn't know what it was. He called it the gift to lay hands on people and get to Holy Ghost. 892 people. And that's something I want to tell young preachers. You don't necessarily have to be gifted in all of these other things to be a soul winner and to win people to God. And that's the bottom line, really. I mean, that's it not where we preached or who we preached to or how many times we got invited out. That's the bottom line is, are we winning people of the Lord? Daddy never asked me, I mean, did you have in Sunday school today? Daddy only asked me, did y'all baptize anybody today? Anybody get the Holy Ghost? And he had tremendous success. Uh, when Terry came and talked to me, we're going too long I'm sorry.
1: No, this when Terry
2: shot came and talked to me, later on he told me, he said, brother dean and i guess this sounds like i'm boasting and i'm telling you not to boast but he said you know what's amazing is i have tons of young men who want me to do this for him them but i've never had a man your age ask me to do this well brother adam i don't want to quit learning i haven't arrived uh i inherited a good church bosier a, is a very good church it was it was a they had 275 this sunday before i came so I didn't take a a handful of people. I've never done what Mark Brown did uh, or many of these other countless people in our movement who built churches. So I had something to work with, but this is what I've never got away from. It frightens me. It frightens me when the prayer room crowd gets smaller and smaller. Uh, We're not going to get this done by having lights, and uh, we've got all of it. We, we're constantly upgrading. We, we cannot forget, and that's a huge red flag. Young preachers, please listen to me. You can impress people from a distance, but you're not going to convert people from a distance, you're not going to disciple them from a distance. So, most social media is from a distance. You got to get close to people. If you're going to change lives, Get close to them. It's so important.
1: That's so good. Before we wrap up, and before we go, uh, and you've you've given us so much, um, so much here already, but um, I want to give you. We always give, we always give whoever is being interviewed the, the last word.
2: My final word, and I think you said a lot of this is going to young preachers. My final word is this. You can't be all things to all people. So quit trying. I, I tried marriage counseling for years and everybody I counsel got a divorce. I'm like, this is not working. <laughs> I, need to, I I'm not trained to do that, brother. I can get in the Bible, I can show you some things. My marriage counseling is summed up in two things. Number one, quit being selfish. Number two, shut your mouth. That real well, that'll fix every problem you have, really. Yes. I mean yeah. Sounds simple, but uh, don't try to be all things to all people. The last thing I want to say is I am so excited as I come to the end of my ministry to hand this baton to this next generation. You guys and girls are going to take this thing so much further than we ever even dreamed. Brother Adam, I was a young 22- or 3-year-old preacher, and J.T. Pew stood at a general conference and said someday we're going to fill up football stadiums. And I'm preaching to 35 and 40 people. My five years of evangelist ministry, the average church was probably 45 or 50. And I'm like, Brother Pugh, and I believed it. I, I don't know why I believed it, but I did. He was convinced. He was so anointed when he said it. And and I'm like, I believe this, we're gonna do it. And praise God, we did it. We did it, we're in a football stadium. And I'm like, can you believe this? So you young guys, God keep your head on straight, stay humble and take this thing further than we ever dreamed it would be taken. God's gonna be with you, we're racing the rapture. But we're going to get it done in the name of Jesus. And may the blessing of the Lord be upon you all in Jesus' name.